I think one of the things that we see when we look at um, you know black athletes is that they see this as service right the service in the military as an opportunity uh, to use uh, another kind of what we think of as another playing field for them to uh, demonstrate their uh, belief in democracy and their sense of equality. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win the Day. I'm Derek White, author of The Challenge of Blackness and Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Jay Gate, the Florida A&M and Black Co- the History of Black College Football. Welcome back, Lou. Yeah, thank you. It's been a while. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's like crazy. You know, you guys have been done, I think, right? You finished up school like a month ago, right? Uh, Almost a few weeks ago. Man, stop. You know, I'm in summer school, man. I'm in, my, oh. I'm in my stop, man. I'm in my fourth week of summer school, and so it's just papers are due like tonight at midnight. So this whole Memorial Day weekend, I'll, I'll be grading my first set of papers. So, okay, yeah, my bad. Yeah, my thanks. Bad. thanks. We, well, we're, if it makes if it makes you feel better, we're we're like we're headed in the finals week. So, you know, so we got we still I'm I'm still kind of working. That's what they're telling me. So, uh, you know, since we've been gone for the last couple of weeks, we've watched the playoffs. What are your hot takes? Because I know you hate the Golden State Warriors, or at least you hate on the Golden State. You don't hate them. Hate on them. No, no, I don't hate them. I just want to, you know, I just love that drama. I, I want to see them get beat, right? Like, it's been a while since, you know, LeBron did it. But, look, speaking about, like, playoffs, we literally just, we pushed back this show until the Toronto-Milwaukee game uh, got done just now. Kenny five and and hot take is Kawhi's a killer, right? And and I think I've been wrong all playoffs about every prediction I've made, but I think Toronto batches up better than Milwaukee against the Warriors just because of veteran leadership, right? And I say that because last series with the um, Blazers, what hurt them was there's no vets, right? There was they three games in a row they had 17, 18 point leads. And there was nobody who could just keep them together. Um, and Toronto has that, right? They had that in Kawhi. They had that in Danny Green, who are champions. Um, so I think that might give them edge. And they're a little bit tougher. Um, they're going to bump. I think if they win the next one of the next three games, they're going to bump the Warriors around a lot. So it's going to be exciting. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. This is, uh, you know, this is also a referendum on Giannis, right? He had, he had vaulted, you know, he had leapfrogged. Uh, literally a bunch of NBA stars to be at the the top of the discussion. He's a finalist for the MVP this year. Um, man, he's been an amazing year. But you know, right now uh, Kawhi is letting everybody know that you must have forgot, right? He pulled a Roy Jones Jr., right? Yeah, greatest boxer of all time, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of our generation, greatest boxer of our generation. Let me and and a so so yeah. and a so so rapper, right? <laughs> and so. Um, you know, Kawhi making this huge run and 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 got another thirty point night tonight, and it's it's gonna be tough. Um, but I still see the Warriors winning in like no more than six games. Right, right. And can I just admit something real quick? I did buy the Roy Jones album. Uh, <laughs> that's how big of a Roy Jones fan I was. I, it's somewhere, you know, those old CD cases that you have. You know, the where you where you put them in the, the traveling case, it's somewhere in one of those cases. I don't know where. Uh, I don't even know if I have a CD player anymore to play that. Uh, but I did buy that album, just like I bought almost every No Limit album too. So there you go. Look at you. All right, this was not in our prep thing, but I want to ask you this because it came to my attention. Uh, did you see the Deontay Wilder knockout the other night? Oh, man, I did. It was uh, 
between the third and fourth quarter of the Blazers game, it was, it was man, I'd never seen someone hit so hard in, <laughs> in a heavyweight fight in the first round. Like those, I mean, Wider's light and, and, and he's got this like superb body. And, and when you realize you're like 10 pounds off of what he weighs, uh, you start looking at yourself a lot differently. But <laughs> oh my, he hit him like so fast and you heard it and i i know a lot of people have been watching in slow mode that that doesn't do it justice you have to watch that punch in real speed uh just to get that full effect like that boom boom and it just the dude just crumbled it was crazy i know it's been a while you know since we we've seen someone with that kind of power in the heavyweight division and uh it sounded like he hit him with a phone book right like it was crazy um that was not on our, on our pregame uh, discussions, but I felt like I needed to talk to you since you're my boxing expert, since you got, uh, you know, there it is. Um, oh, and the last thing before we head right into our episode on war, um, World War II and the Black Athlete, I just we want to note real quick that Chris Long retired the other day. Uh, and this is a good reference to our White Allies episode uh, earlier this uh, in our podcast career, like episode, I think, four. Um Chris Long has been a huge advocate and supporter of bringing up these issues about police brutality and the right for black athletes to pro to use their platform. Uh, and so it's going to be he's, his presence actually going to be missed in the NFL because, you know, unlike many of the black athletes, um, management and the and media actually listened to Chris Long's um, opinions and, and um analysis of circumstances so salute to a to a, a, a ally right to to black athletes in the modern era right and hopefully someone you know steps up too and the other thing real quick about him is is asked he was asked the other day about reefer right and he admitted that he smoked um to help him out right not just like you know recreationally but but to help him uh with pain and i think that's a big deal when when somebody of that stature uh toxin admits that he is um you know smoking right for and and for the reasons to 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 manage his pain um gets the conversation out there once again and i think and i say that because it looks a lot different right if if ricky williams is saying it versus chris long um and that's a very loaded observation by me but i to be clear it doesn't look different to me but i think to other outsiders right when ricky williams is talking about why he he smoked versus when chris long right same reasons different results i think yeah absolutely i think he's you know again chris long is on the front line of, of player issues uh and uh again showing his using his platform even in retirement as he's heading out the door to to raise important issues about pain management that the nfl is going to have to really uh grapple with um but today's episode is uh the black a- athlete in the military and today i think we're you know we're heading we're doing this right recording this right before memorial day weekend and uh, this is a great opportunity for our listeners to really think about the the meaning of war and and for African Americans, uh, and but also for Black athletes. And I guess before we start, I guess we think about this meaning of war in general. That for African Americans, us and when we teach our history classes, you know, what do we say about war? And for African Americans, history, the the meaning of war has been an opportunity to make a claim for equality and a claim for democracy, right? And we've used, whether it's the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War One, World War II, uh, those major wars, and then Vietnam, we started raising questions about the question of American uh, foreign policy in the world and its role in the world, um, which is a very different set of questions. But from, from really the Revolutionary War through World War II, African-Americans uh, used the war 
as a platform to make uh, legitimate claims to democracy and equality that have been denied through the strictures of slavery and Jim Crow and et cetera. Right. No. And I, and I, I, I mean, we brought up teaching and that's how I teach it. Um, just, just, and I think that's the key with Vietnam you brought up, but just the importance of war and, and, and how you look, we sacrifice for this country. We get something out of it. Right. And, and whether it's, you know, in, in the North post, um, revolution there's you know gradual emancipation or civil war you have the 13th the 14th the 15th amendment um and the same thing is gonna have you try to say thing with world war one and then when you get to world war two you talk about double victory um and then like we said korean war i don't know when you teach do you do the korean war because I, I think that's one of those things that just kind of gets skipped right it's the weirdest thing is like it's the first major integrated war since the american revolution and then i think most people go uh world war two you fill that in with some civil rights stuff, some black power stuff, and then you hit Vietnam. Like, is that how you teach or like, what do you do? I mean, w- Korean War is, is hard to work in uh, and for lots of reasons. Right. Um, but I, I kind of use it as a platform to talk about the integrated military. Right. But ideally, it's really just an addition to World War Two, not like a whole kind of theme or unit in and of itself we don't get into the you know the foreign policy and what black america is really dealing with korean war it's just another opportunity for them to to showcase what an integrated military uh could do right right and on that i think that's like going back to that's the connection with world war ii and this this episode right uh the importance of that double victory and integration right the hope for integration and its impact on the black sporting experience. Yeah, absolutely, right? That um, we see, for instance, that, you know, for Black America, there was tremendous disappointment on the heels of both World War I as well as the Depression and New Deal, right? And so when we see Europe heading towards war again uh, and the United States getting slowly involved in the war, African-American intellectuals and media and others who decided to support the war were making it very clear that they wanted what the Pittsburgh Courier called uh, a double victory, right? Victory at home and victory abroad, right? And so this becomes an important kind of broad-based theme that we all teach when we teach African-American history, but as a frame. But for Black athletes, this is also something uh, uh, that can be played out, where the victory at home becomes victories on the field or in the ring or on the court as much as victory in the military sense uh, in defeating uh, Nazi Germany. Right. And I think there's no greater symbol for that um, than Joe Lewis, right? Um, Joe Lewis is, is look, look, he's the greatest fighter of all time, as you learned in, in coming to America. Um, and and I, <laughs> that statement still stands. It's, it's still accurate. And yes, he was 137 years old when he fought Rocky Marciano. Um, but but Joe becomes that symbol for Black Americans for hope, right? For double victory, victory, victory abroad, victory at home, um, and it starts even before we get into war, right? It starts in '38 um, when you, as you mentioned, people know the war is coming, and in 1938 he defeats the German boxer Max Schmeling, and then a year later the war in Europe starts, and then when it starts here, right, just a couple weeks after. Pearl Harbor, right? December 7th, 1941. But in early 1942, Joe Lewis is already starting to donate um, money to the military. And there's this really cool political cartoon 
uh, that I like to use in my class, right? To, you know, when I talk, before I talk about World War II, whether it's in a uh, general U.S. history setting uh, or AFM class or a sports class, I like to talk about, you know, Joe Lewis and his America, right? And the cartoon is him and Dory Miller, right? So you got Dory Miller in the background, who, shout out to Dory Miller, was a Texas high school football player before he joined the military. Um, and he played on Thursday nights as, as the book Thursday Night Lights suggests. Um, and then you have Joe Lewis mm -hmm. uh, giving money to the Navy. Um, but when I talk about Joe Lewis and his America, it's like Joe Lewis becomes a symbol because, you know, once the war starts, you know, he gets drafted, he, he, he enters the military and he uses his platform really to, to unite America and push America through this war. And one of the ways he does that is uh, by speaking and trying to raise bonds. And he has this famous saying where he says, we're going to win the war because we're on God's side. Um, and, you know, they run posters, they run ads for it. When we were doing our prep work, you know, I put one of those um, newspapers from 1942 in our file and that resonated with a lot of folks. And if you're looking at the black press at that time, you would see stuff about how Lewis is more important than someone like a W.E.B. Du Bois or a Philip Randolph because he's mm -hmm. the symbol of integration. Mm -hmm. Right. But he's doing it in a segregated military. And that's what I always try to get people right. to understand. And I think like our memory of that war uh, because we call it the greatest generation tends to forget that all this is done in a segregated military. Right. And what Lewis did, um, you know, he becomes a symbol of patriotism patriotism but he does this right in jim crow and and then also i know we don't have time to go over joe lewis this whole show but this is what leads to his uh economic downfall uh because when he gets into the military right he's, he's the heavyweight champion of the world um but in 1941 you know he has heavyweight champion of the world money but in 1942 he has the money of a soldier and the fights that he a has, private. right, a private soldier. And the fights that he has during the war, he donates these monies, but he still has to pay his taxes, and he can't afford to pay his forty-one taxes on his forty-two salary, and he never catches up, right? And and Uncle Sam, as as the story goes, to make a long story short, dogs him out, right? And eventually catches up and tries mm -hmm. to get him for his taxes, and he spends almost like another twenty years trying to catch up, and and to kind of tie the story together because I know I made this kind of coming to America reference. That's why he was 137 years old when he fought Rocky Marciano, right? He, he needed the money. <laughs> um, and if you ever see that fight, it's just a sad, pathetic fight with this older Joe Lewis, who's what, three years removed from the championship has to fight this young, hungry lion uh, just to pay his taxes where all this trouble starts. Now he spends his own money a lot, but all this trouble starts when he joins the military, right? Um, so I think the debt is not repaid to Joe Lewis. Mm, yeah, that's an excellent point about the notion of debt, right? And service, right? Because I think one of the things that we see when we look at, um, you know, black athletes is that they see this as service, right? The service in the military is an opportunity uh, to use uh, another kind of what we think of as another playing field for them to uh, demonstrate their uh, belief in democracy and their sense of equality. And we see this especially among black middle class. And so one of the things that I work on, obviously, is black college football. But so looking at sports and, and, and the war on black colleges, we see that all these 
uh, coaches, right? I mean, we're talking dozens and dozens of coaches um, uh, really are, are either drafted into the military uh, or join or volunteer the military as part of the, uh, as part of the war effort. And so in my book, uh, Blood, Sweat and Tears, I talk about how William Bell, Bill Bell, who was a graduate of the Ohio State University and All-American and All-Big Ten uh, player there, uh, who was the head coach of the night of, of Florida A&M beginning in 1937. And heading into the war, he he basically takes a downtrodden Florida A&M program and leads them to their first national title with Jake Gaither as his assistant. Uh, but he says in 1940, as the war starts to the war, uh, the war rhetoric, uh, as well as the double V campaign begins to take take hold across the nation. He says he writes a letter to the newspaper talking about why uh, he's supporting the war and what the war effort should do for black Americans. And he says, uh, this is a quote, he says, we like other sincere citizens will grant the last block, the last drop of our blood to continue democracy and the American way of life. End quote. So he writes this for the it's in the Pittsburgh Courier in 1940. And so Bill Bell talks about him traveling all over the country and getting a kind of sense of the mood of black America, that they were disappointed and frustrated uh, on the heels of World War One and the New Deal. But at the same time, that despite those frustrations, that they were be committed to this effort. And so Bill Bell in 1942 will uh, resign as head coach of Florida A&M in part because many of his players will be drafted into the military and he too would join the military and he goes to Fort Benning where he uh, begins his process of becoming uh, an officer in the military. But one of the tasks that he has uh, when he first gets into the military is organizing uh, sports teams at Fort Benning that they too were segregated. And so we see that these sports teams uh, as we will talk about, lead to the kind of lay the groundwork to integration on the backside when we think about Jackie Robinson. Right. And I think that's a good uh, point. And that's one of the things that fascinated me when I was, um, you know, writing the book, We Will Win the Day, doing all this research in the 40s. And I honestly wanted to do that book. Like, I think there's a book out there uh, for World War II and the Black Athlete. Um, and we're just giving you a snippet. So look, if you if you need an idea to run with, go run with it. Because I, I brought this up to, you know, I was feeling myself um, after I fight for a living and just throwing out ideas <laughs> to, to oppress. And like, that's like one of the ideas that got ignored. I mean, they got back on some other stuff, um, you know, some modern day stuff. But, I, you know, I was like, hey, man, I really wanted to do that. Because what's so fascinating to me is that that integrated experience right and we 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 have a segregated military and and some of the sports are segregated and, and look jackie robson talks about this all the time like he can't play baseball in the military because of jim crow and then obviously you know he gets out and and you know a year later he's he's with the dodgers but there are a lot of integrated experience sporting experiences in world war ii that's going to lead to integration right and so one of the ones is that um the uh, great lakes naval academy right um and there you have Marion motley who's going to be when when professional football reintegrates right he's going to be one of the first black players and he'll sign with the cleveland browns and oh yeah his coach at the naval academy paul brown his teammate there, Bill Willis, who who is went to the Ohio State too, um, and then the great Buddy Young, um, and and 
these names for for our listeners if you don't know these names look them up and and buddy young um especially was a star right one of the really i would say probably the first black football star post-world war ii america right he doesn't i don't know if he it's hard to gauge if he eclipses like a, a fritz pollard or a paul robeson or something like that when they're playing but but Buddy Young does it. He might because he does it in post-World War II. But one of the stories people like to tell about him, right, when you're fishing for stories to to show that integration can't work is why he was in the, the military playing for Navy Academy, um, one of those games. Uh, he was getting roughed up by some um, white players on, on the other team. Uh, one of them actually called him an, an N-word and said he's going to rip his head off. And as the famous story goes, is Buddy Young has a Texas uh, Southern teammate who sticks up for him and punches the guy, right? And for a lot of people looking at that moment, it's proof, right? Right in that moment that a white Southerner would, would punch another white guy for using the N-word, uh, protect his black teammate. Because one of these moments where you could sell that integration will work not only in sports, but the rest of society. I think, you know, Buddy Young is a fascinating thing. I should ask you because you uh, wrote We Will Win the Day. Is there a biography of, of, of Buddy Young? Ooh, there should be. If Even if there is, there should be like another one too, right? Like there's always like, like there's a hundred biographies on Ali. Uh, but you know me, my style is always to get uh, the newspapers and I couldn't find, I couldn't find one. I'm sure there's one out there. And if there's not, there needs to be, uh Yeah. Yeah, it threw me off a little bit because I'm like, dang, that's that's another that's another project that I'll, I'll never get to. I know we're just giving out, we just gotta, you know, we're trying to help the field move forward here, right? Right. Because, right. because I think I think Buddy Young, just as an aside, right? He's also, um, I'm gonna skip ahead just because we're on him. Um, he becomes at the end of the war one of the first what we would think of as great collegiate free agents, right? So one of the things at the end of the war is that. Um, the the guys who played on military teams or who were at college before the war broke out had the opportunity to go to any college and still be eligible at the end of the war and so all these teams in the, in in the midwest and in the north are trying to convince buddy young uh to come to their school and he ends up at the university of illinois where he's a, a star right i mean he you know in some ways he eclipses red grange right he's the red grange of that generation for uh, the University of Illinois. Uh, and then he has a tremendous pro career and he's a first scout and he's an administrator in the NFL. Like, it's a great story. And so for those folks, again, if you're looking for a project, Buddy Young is a fantastic, um, a fantastic uh, subject. Um, and so I, I want to in these military teams on the segregated side. Right. I think this is an important because I think this sets us up for this post-war period is that on the black college side, what we also see is, again, enhanced. I won't say professionalization, but enhanced um, uh, an improvement of the game because of this military teams uh, during the war. Right. That coaches like Bill Bell are able to really enhance their coaching because they're interacting with uh, these other players and these other coaches and these other systems at, uh, at, at Fort Benning, which is where, which is a segregated uh, military team in the South and they would play other black colleges. And I think this is an important piece, right? Because one of the things that we see with World War II is really kind of two divergent things happening, right? That one hand we see the, uh, that the war lays the groundwork for integration, right? So we we right. talk about Marion Motley and Paul Brown, as well as uh, Buddy Young and others, and these 
uh, integrated spaces. But at the same time, and the th- this is one of the arguments that I make, is that that World War II also lays the groundwork for what I call the golden age of black college football. But one could even argue the golden age of black college athletics, right? Right. That that we see, you know, that we see not only Florida and M, we see Grambling come of age after the war, Prairie View come of age. Uh, we see Southern come of age in terms of their football programs. We see the Tiger Bells at Tennessee State really get their their lead beginning at Tuskegee. Um, and we see track and field, especially women's track and field, take hold after World War II as well, right? So there's this opportunity for Black colleges to really, to really develop these kind of what I think of as robust athletic departments uh, after World War Two, uh, and so we have two things kind of happening, right? And the and the key for both of those things happening is the GI Bill, right? Because the GI Bill allows for um, all these veterans who who either played sports or wanted to play sports or, ha- or have athletic ability to go to college and take those skills back to collegiate campuses. Right. And and that's I think that's the great paradox too, right? On the one hand, the GI Bill produces, helps produce the, the golden age, what you call the golden age of uh, black college athletics. But on the other hand, you start to see what it's leading up to, right? And so there's this article from 1947 in, in uh, Cleveland Call where the guy, um, the author is saying, like, you know, 1946 was a great year for, for the black athlete. And the reason why was the GI Bill. All of a sudden, you have to go to college. But when he's saying that, he wasn't talking about the black athlete going to the black school. He really meant the black athlete going to these PWIs, right? And so what's going to happen is that that's going to be a trickle. So the northern black athlete can stay home. And and you'll see it. The Buddy Young, and he had four. There's four other. There's three other players on that Illinois team, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, so you, so you got four there. And maybe there's one or two here. And that. That's going to slowly increase. And, and, and it's, you know, eventually once you get like, you know, Brown v. Board and, and that works in the civil rights movement and you see how that's that trickling effect is going to have on, um, you know, the, the black college experience. Right. Uh, those players will stop going there. It's going to take a while. Right. It's, it's right. still a generation yeah. removed. But I think it sets that the wheels in motion that these guys are now all of a sudden going right there's a number of athletes like you said they're eligible to play they've been playing in these navy games so they have there's no tape but you know so to speak they have stuff on tape now right and it's Mm -hmm. and it's post-world war ii right and if there's anything we know about sports of post-world war ii there's this feeling that integration is going to come and sports are going to get us there right and so part of what the black press is doing throughout world war ii is looking at the sacrifices that black soldiers made um, for their country and saying, wait a minute, if we're going to let these black soldiers die, right, we're going to let them fight in Guadalcanal. Then you did. You have no excuse to, <laughs> to, to segregate in these sports. Right. And you'll even see protests right in New York when before the Dodgers signed Jackie, right. There's three teams there and there's major protests throughout you know the city uh new york city right and and they're holding up sides right like how you you know mm-hmm. essentially paraphrasing right you know someone can die in battle in the pacific right but they can't play baseball at home and that's gonna you know that's gonna you know shift some thinking about this right wait a minute they have a point right there right you can't continue to segregate 
these spaces while these people are are fighting at home and you'll see it you know jackie within what a month of the ending of the war month and a half he's signed to the dodgers uh right you know that that next year um you know coming off that full year coming off that war what few months after that actually in 46 you have the nfl's integrated right uh, i believe mm-hmm. uh in march kenny washington's signing right in summer of mm-hmm. 46 you'll have willis and uh, Motley signing with with the Rams, right? I mean, with the Browns, right? And so that movement is is starting, and the reason why it's doing it is because people recognize that sacrifice, um, and and you have people linking that sacrifice to to sports. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important too, right? To even thinking about uh, when we when we see uh, the Los Angeles Dons trying to get into the uh, professional football, right? That they hold to play in the Coliseum, right? That the LA Sentinel was like, look, we have participated in the war, and thus that gives us a right to make a claim right. that if you're going to use these public monies for this stadium right that then they need to have black people need to be able to participate <laughs> and i think that's an important dynamic right that the war becomes the basis for the argument for equality right and i think we see that in the sports world not only with jackie but all over the sports world but on the flip side and this is why i think we get the golden age and i think this is an important piece right that most schools because most black african americans still are located in the south even with the great migration to the north that that the GI Bill will allow them to go to schools that are close to where they live and their families live. And most of those schools are black colleges. And so one of the things that we see in the heels of the GI Bill in the end of World War II is that black college, historically black colleges are over enrolled, mm. right? That they are basically busting at the seams because they now have all these people have money to pay for tuition. And so I make this important distinction that um, that I think is they, that's important in the book. But for us to think going forward, it's also the golden age is really the rise of public black college athletics, right? right? And so in track and field and women's track and field, this is the 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 shift from Tuskegee to Tennessee State, right? Tuskegee lays down the model, but Tennessee State perfects it. Right. Because part of it is, is that the the new monies that are being spent on Tennessee State on one hand because of the GI Bill, but on the other to stop integration. Right. Right. (laughs) It allows for these black colleges to get the resources that they need to be successful. And many of those coaches learn their trade coming through World War Two, whether they were influenced directly in the case of Bill, uh, Bill Bell or indirectly because the war uh, opened up all these new coaching opportunities and interactions uh, between coaches who created all these coaching clinics on the other side of World War II. Dang, look at that, just dropping knowledge. Um, and, and look, the other thing too, like, and I feel like we're, we're getting to the end here and I'm getting nervous because we, we really haven't done Jackie. Um, and I feel like, like, yeah. uh, you know, like, how do you run the show and not do Jackie? And I'm like, okay, but that's the thing like kind of going back on the, on that is, is, is putting this conversation, kind of wrapping this up. And, and that's part of reason why the Dodgers, the wars, the reason, one of the reasons why the Dodgers will sign Jackie Robinson, right? His, his experience in the military. Now he doesn't fight. He, he's, he's, he's honorably discharged before um, he has the opportunity to go because he suffered some injuries, but it's just, um, you know, you know, going through 
uh, what he had to do, his experiences, not only with racism there and segregation in the war, but also, um, man, almost uh, when he got in trouble for fighting, I'm, I'm losing my words right here. Uh, but that, you know, I, Branch Rickey paid attention to that, right? And he understood that's one of the things that would separate Jackie from the other uh, Negro League baseball players, right? It's not to say others didn't go, right? You know, Leon Day and, and, and I believe Monty Irvin were in war, but specifically for Jackie, you know, being a superstar athlete and then uh, at UCLA where, you know, he has national recognition, and then being into the military and going through what he had to go through, um, you know, Ricky recognizes that. Right. And, and, and I think that's one of the main reasons why he's there. And that's, you know, once you sign Jackie, um, I think that's when everything snowballs and changes for, for sports in America. Now it takes a long time for baseball to get there. Right. It takes uh, Boston Red Sox until 1959. But I think that feeling that Americans had when Jackie signed in, in black and white, in the white press, too. Um, and, and I don't think you can um, remove that from that that spirit of the war, what's going on. There's so much talk when you read the press, whether it's Jackie Robinson signing or Levi Jackson become the captain of the team or, you know, Penn State players getting to play in in the Cotton Bowl that connection between democracy and what that war did for us. Right. Cause you, as you teach the war, one of the war, you know, you fight this war for those four freedoms. And when you come home, right, mm-hmm. you got to pay that bill. Um, and I think sports becomes the easiest place um, to do that. Right. It's the easiest thing. It's easier than, than education. It's easier than housing. It's either easier than, uh, than employment. Right. And I think that's why so many people mm-hmm. celebrate this moment. Absolutely. And sports is, is definitely, it's easier and it's, it's, e- and it's also more visible, right? Like you can right. see tangible victories. Uh, so Jackie Robinson's success is a success, a broader success for, for integration. Whereas like, you know, housing is much more complicated and education. There's so much backlash and, you know, it can be individualized to one person uh, as well. Um, And so, yeah, I'm glad you got a chance to, to, for us to bring in and wrap wrap up with Jackie, because that'd been, you know, rude. But I want to say a couple things. One, uh, to all our listeners, happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I know many, many listeners are like myself who, who owe uh, my educational experience in many ways to my grandfather who participated in World War, World War II uh, who made a way for the rest of my family so I'm very thankful for those who, who those black folks who sacrificed uh, and made a way for me and my family members on World War II right and my, my grandfather too uh, got shot battle he's white uh, my white grandfather got shot in the Battle of the Bulge uh, so yeah young man uh, from from Kavina and, and and went into the war right and I think that's this is where we need to push on and we don't have time to do this but some scholars do we always call it the, the greatest generation but we always leave out uh, right black soldiers like like your grandfather right um, right and I think it's important not not to, it is important to recognize that right and that's one of the things we started this episode when we talked about war about our classrooms and I think that's one of the things we do well in our classrooms like whether we're in a classroom setting of of African-American history or civil rights or just your your general, you know, gen ed U.S. history. I think both of us make that point, right, that that you can't talk about this war without talking about the black participation in the war. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another episode. Thank you again for listening. Right. Thank you. Peace. Peace.